Hey, folks, Zach Osterman here, IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. Across from me, as always, Dustin DePirac, IU Insider, Bloomington Herald Times. One of these days, Dustin, they're, they're going to get wise to the fact that you live in Indianapolis and I live in Bloomington. Um, but one way or another, it is Mind Your Banners for March 3rd, 2022. And uh, I think it is fair to say, Dustin, down here anyway, uh, it is a pretty morose day. Indiana yeah. lost 66 to 63 to Rutgers last night. Let's talk a little bit about the game and then let's talk about the bigger picture. Um, I know you and I both echoed this in different ways in, in our insider video last night in what we wrote separately. You wrote the insider. I had the post game Q and a, um, this is the stuff that Indiana struggle with all season. Can't make, open shots consistently enough for the offense to really find its flow leads to not being able to extend leads, not being able to stretch an advantage when you have one. Mm. Uh, and then when this team gets into those crunch situations um, late in games, they struggle to produce enough to win. It's funny because last night they actually did answer that bell a little bit better. I thought than they have in some of these other close games that's helped a little bit by the weirdness around uh, the Mulcahy flagrant foul, Sure. But, you know, making those late free throws and then Parker Stewart hitting that three is is maybe more than we've seen, frankly, from this team. Not just hitting the three, but yeah. running some good stuff to create good shots. Right. Um, but the result was the same. And so mm. you can kind of sit here and, and pick around the edges and try to find what positives you want. Ooh. The results just aren't changing. No, absolutely. It's just another one of those games where they can't they can't put somebody away because they just don't have the they just full collection of skill that you need. I mean, you're, they're in a situation um, where I mean, they were able to bully Rutgers early I and mean, they were able to do whatever they wanted around the rim. They didn't, uh, Rutgers didn't really have a, 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 an answer for Trace Jackson Davis one-on-one. Uh, Race Thompson was also able to take advantage of that. Jordan Geronimo was to some extent uh, just an advantage that Indiana had in the paint. I mean, basically I, I think they were able to take it to Cliff Lamori um, and, you know, as good of an offensive player as Ron Harper Jr. is, I mean, he, he is, does not have the height of some of the guys that uh, that he is guarding. Well, while he is able to take those guys outside and give them problems offensively, uh, it's it's an issue on the other side where he's had a hard, hard time sort of keeping people out of out of the lane. And they were able to score that way. So what they did is they just went to his own, um, and that's really all it took. Uh, because Indiana wasn't able to really burn them from outside, um, which is weird because I mean, st- both statistically and with your own eyes, Indiana has been mm-hmm. good against the zone this year, and not just because yeah. they've busted it by shooting the ball well. But, mm-hmm. you know, typically they have done a better job of using the high posts, using the short corners. I mean, just just mm-hmm. moving the ball through the zone for easy looks. It just felt like last night for whatever reason. And, and you'd, I'd have to go back and look at the film to see if Rutgers did anything weird, but it didn't feel like it in real time. Mm-hmm. They just couldn't. They, they, it was just like they. It was like they couldn't find you know, the right key to unlock what it was that Rutgers was doing with their zone. And I felt like they kept trying yeah. different things and, and just it kept not mm. working and not working. And that was just surprising because actually quietly this team has, you know, about 12 minutes against Syracuse aside, been pretty good at the zone this year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think from my just sort of um, naked eye look at it last night, it it seemed to me like Rutgers and, and, and part of it was because Parker Stewart and Miller Cobb were having such a hard time shooting. Um, it really wasn't getting extended. I mean, there really wasn't. I mean, I feel like they were just so devoted to keeping bodies in the paint 
Um, and they didn't, you know, when, when usually when teams see Parker or Miller cop, get the ball on the outside, they, they've got to get sprinted out there. So, so that creates some, you know, opportunity to move. That's why a lot of teams haven't zoned up because they've said, okay, well, you know, you don't want to let those guys burn you. You don't want to hand them open threes. You know, you, you feel pretty good about if you can defend them. Uh, and just make sure they don't get clean looks, then you're not going to get beat from three. And, you know, you, you can give some other people shots. You just can't give them shots. Uh, and But you don't have to worry about them breaking you down. You just make sure you have to have a body out there. Well, this time it seemed like they were less concerned about even having a body out there. And that's kind of a big reason why I think those guys had as clean looks as they did is it was just all about jamming the paint. It was all about making sure there were really four or five bodies within a step of it. Um, and, and nobody was getting too far out unless they really had to. Um, and so I think that was a big reason why it was that way. I mean, they didn't open up the high post. They didn't open up the short corner. I mean, there were bodies there all the time and just closing up those lanes. And they were willing to live with uh, even the guys that are you're not supposed to let shoot the ball, shoot the ball. At least that was my naked eye look at it. I mean, like I said, I haven't. Yeah, really and I mean, maybe you ease into that a little more bit. Just, even than usual. Maybe you ease into that as you, as you see the way those guys are shooting on that given night. Yeah, and they, were, they weren't making them against man-to-man defense. No, I mean, that. yeah, I mean – and got some clean. It started slow and never picked up. I mean, between them, Cop and Stewart were three of 14. Mm-hmm. Cop was one of five. Uh, Stewart was two of nine. You know, and, and again, like you, you didn't feel like a lot of those were forced. Certainly not the ones that mm-hmm. were, you know, that weren't, you know, just sort of that, that late clock, somebody's got to put up a shot kind of situations. You, you felt like yeah. everyone was working generally toward shots that, that they all felt good about. Mm-hmm. It just didn't fall. And so that, you know, that returns to a a familiar discussion for Indiana fans too, which is for yet another year, this team can't hit threes at the rate that it needs to. I mean, and, and not even, I mean, I've said this, you've said this, I've said this. We're not even talking about at an elite clip. We're just, mm. I mean, just functional, 34, 35%, you know I mean? And to be fair, Indiana's team-wide uh, three-point shooting percentage is is quite literally the mean, basically. Right. Um, they shoot 34%. That's 157th in the country. So they mm. are right near the national average. But if you go to Big Ten play, that number mm. dips to 32.4%, and that's the second-worst number in the conference. And that is – that's exactly what Indiana shot from three last year. It's, it's very similar to what they shot from three two years ago. The point I'm trying to make is in Big Ten play, which is ultimately where Indiana has kind of had to prove itself or not, obviously, um, Mm. they have reverted to being the team from a shooting perspective that they were the last two or three years. And, you know, for, I mean, just a a, a shred, I guess, of perspective, if Indiana shot 35% from three, they'd be tied for 100th in the country. Right. That's, 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 that's what we're talking about. We're not, you know, 35%. If they were just shooting 35% in Big Ten play alone, we're not talking about elite offense, three-point offense. If they were shooting 35% uh, in, in conference play, they and I'm just looking at these numbers while we talk, they would be tied with Maryland for seventh, I think. Yeah, they'd be tied mm-hmm. with Maryland and Penn State for seventh in the conference in three-point shooting percentage. So, like, we're not – you know, but but like I would argue that thirty five percent in conference play, they would be eleven and eight right now. Yeah, like a, you know, like I mean, you're talking about maybe just like two or three extra makes a game, 
Mm-hmm. Probably win last night. They probably beat Penn State. At mm. very least, you can look at, at just the, the slew of, of, you know, close games, and you can say that between Ohio State, Northwestern, Michigan State, Rutgers, and Penn State, and really probably both Wisconsin games, they probably have at least two more wins out of that if they're just making a couple more threes a game. Yeah. And how many times have we said that in the last five years? It, it, it is – it is becoming one of those things that like, even as someone who I think tries to talk people off the ledge and be a lot more balanced and objective about it, it really does baffle me that Indiana can't mm. shoot the ball better than this. Yeah, no. And, and, and the fact that it keeps being like this, I mean, I, I do think sometimes we overstate the extent to which, um, you know, we, everybody jokes that you can find five guys in the hyper that can shoot better than this. And that's not true. Uh, we overstate that a lot that, that they just, you know, they grow shooters on trees in Indiana and, and, and no matter how, you know, that, 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 that it translates, uh, easily. And it, and it doesn't because it's a different game. Um, you know, because you're going to have to deal with guys that are six, six closing out on you or whatever, but bottom line, um, there, it, 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 it just should be better than this. I mean, it just should be better fundamentally than it has been all this time. Um, and it's tough. I mean, like, you know, they, they got better spot up shooters this year, but they, they lost, uh, their two best guys who could, you know, not only shoot threes, but create, uh, three point shooting opportunities from last year and Armand Franklin and Al Durham. So, I mean, they're not, they didn't, um, come into this year, you know, really on paper that much better off, uh, from three. And I think that's, that, that sort of, sort of showed, I mean, I think Parker Stewart is, is a better spot up guy than they had last year. Um, and, and is ultimately a better, you know, is making more threes than anybody they had on last year's team. But, um, you know, cop is not much better, um, if he's better at all. In fact, he probably isn't better than those two guys. Um, and you don't have anyone after that, then you can really trust Xavier Johnson. The fact that he's picked it up the last couple of games, he actually, he actually, I think is now technically Indiana's third, you know, second best shooter. And, but I mean, then after that, he's kept Indiana alive in this. I mean, like, yes, they don't beat Maryland Lately. or Minnesota without him. And mm-hmm. a big part of that is without him hitting some threes. Right. So that, I mean, that, that's where you've gotten that, like the guys that were sort of designated to be the specialists in that area, among other things, obviously. Mm. Yeah. You know, have left such a void. And I'm not trying to criticize Parker Stewart and Miller Cop because, like, guess what? We can go back two years and we can talk about how Indiana brought in Evan Fitzner to hit threes and he couldn't. That do didn't it. happen. Yeah. Or, mm. you know, Devontae Green was always good shooting the three, but you never felt like it was like a weapon that really was just there all the time and consistent, respected. It just, yeah, I mean, it, it it feels like they are permanently kind of stuck with a third best three point shooter on a good team as mm-hmm. their best three point shooter. Yeah, that's the best way to put it. They they don't they they never have anybody who's lights out. Um, they they haven't had anybody who's lights out um, since the sixteen team. You know, really, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of teams guys on the seventeen team that might have still been around. Um, but for the most part, they James they just Blackman haven't. Was, was kind of the one. That's I good. Mean, he yeah. was he was a, a volume a shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, that season he hit uh, he hit 42% of his threes. Other mm-hmm. than that, I mean, Devontae Green was 24-55, so he was limited, but he was solid. OG mm-hmm. Ananobi felt like he was trending back in that direction, and then he got hurt. That's it. Right, right. Yeah, so, I mean, it's just it, – it has been a long-term issue. There have been guys that you thought should have been able to shoot the ball but haven't. Um, you know, this year's team has really been, just for the most part, a lot of guys that um, – should, you know, 
they, they weren't really expected to be good, good three point shooters, basically that, that, and, and they just never ended up being, I mean, the only guy who really developed uh, as a three point shooter this season has been Johnson. Obviously his numbers have gotten a lot better um, throughout the year, but even if you were hoping for somebody else to turn in that guy to be a, a Trey Galloway, Rob Finnessy's had a couple moments, um, but hasn't necessarily been reliable. And, and just, you know, you haven't really seen anybody else step into that situation. Race Thompson, hit a couple um when, when he's obviously been taking a lot more jordan geronimo's hit a couple you know um trey galloway has hit a couple but that's really it i mean it just just hasn't become that and they haven't been able to just really build a team uh around three-point shooting and, and and you know i wrote this last night basically i mean mike woodson's you know one of mike woodson's big selling points is the uh, the ability to open things up is the ability to be, be play four out more four out one and be more perimeter oriented like the nba is and he never said that this year's team was going to be that um you know he never made that promise um but it's very clear that it's not there it is not further along as far as you know opening things up and being a more modern offense because they just don't they still don't have the shooters it also it it feels like you know, to, to that point, and, and it is interesting, you know, it's easy to do this with the benefit of hindsight, but you think about, you know, some of the things Mike Woodson said, like when we asked him about scheduling and he said, you know, I'm going to schedule tough, but but not this first year because I need these guys, I need to know these guys can handle it. And, you know, it, 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 in hindsight, some of that feels sort of like tempering some expectations and and mm-hmm. feeling like he recognized that this this team specifically was going to be limited in some key ways. Um, I do think, and, and I guess I'm, I'm just asking if you agree with me or disagree with me. And if you disagree, it's fine. <laughs> you know, it, it, there will be this, when teams struggle, when teams fail, there is this sort of never ending search for who to blame, who, who is mm-hmm. most at fault. Sure. You know, and, and this was true of Archie Miller. And I think it's, it's mm-hmm. true now. This does feel like the one area where like, the offense is making the shots, what the coach is doing, what he's putting together, either in practice and game planning or literal play calls in games. Cause it's worth saying basketball coaches don't necessarily call every single play in a game. Um, there's a lot of just sort of putting your, your systems and your philosophies in and then letting that dictate, you know, right. Sort of let them play what players are doing. Right. This is kind of the one part of it where you feel like you can't hit, the, the coach can't make the shots for the players. The, the, the shots are there. There are mm-hmm. open looks, good looks. The offense is being seems to be run the right way to get those shots. Mm-hmm. You know, it just it, they aren't coming. And I think that's that's maybe the one piece of this. That that's one area where, at very least, obviously long term, it's Mike Woodson's job to find and develop players that can hit those shots. But like short term, you do sort of look at it and say, a coach can only do so much there. Right. I, I mean, last night, I think it was particularly the case. Uh, I mean, I think there have been times where I think people have fairly criticized and said, you know, you have these two good shooters, but they don't seem to run off enough screens. It doesn't seem like you've got enough there uh, within the offense that's just completely designed to making sure uh, guys are, have space created for them. That there's somebody setting picks, that there's double staggers for, for Parker Stewart just to make sure that he gets an opportunity to get a clean one. Uh, you know, same deal, deal for Miller Cop. I think there was a lot of those complaints, and I think those were fair. Uh, but last night was really the case of, I mean, those were those were makeable uh, for those guys, for Stewart and for Cop, and then they have hit those shots before. Um, so I don't think that was a situation where, you know, I mean, maybe something else could have been done. I mean, but for the most part, uh, guys were guys had shots created for him. I thought Xavier Johnson did a great job of creating shots. I mean, I said this on Twitter last night that I thought um, Miller Cop owed Xavier Johnson three, maybe four assists 
last night. I mean, there was at least three or four times when like Xavier Johnson is running down the court with three fingers up. Um, just, you know, sure. Because basically he got Miller Cobb the shot that he is supposed to hit um, and was just sort of stunned that he didn't knock it down. And I think there were several of those cases. I mean, they were moving the ball well enough um, that they got clean enough looks that some of those should have gone down. And yeah, at the end of the day, that's, that's just, you know, you have the players in the positions when your two best guys are getting those shots and they're not making them. There's not a lot you can say. I'm actually, I, I think there have been times in the past where it could have been better um, as far as getting those guys shots, but you know, they, they, they did as well as they could basically last night of creating opportunities um, and, and just didn't, didn't knock them down. I feel like we could prosecute this for a while. So let's just put it to one side for now. Sure. Yeah. Um, all day. <laughs> the, the other thing, and we talked about this, I know in our post-game insider video last night, once again, you get one of these sort of big bodied versatile wing players and in Indiana just can't, mm. can't cover him. And, mm. you know, some of that is, is Trey Galloway um, mm. and, and not having Trey Galloway. Like I, I don't, I'm not convinced that he's perfect for all types of wing players that Indiana no. would see. Um, but mm. he's certainly, you know, I mean, he, he's certainly, um, he's certainly the most capable player in that regard. Um mm. They didn't have him, and it really hurt. And, you know, Indiana tried race Thompson on Ron Harper. I think that worked for a while. I think Harper figured some things out. I think mm-hmm. Rutgers also just figured out how to switch Tom Harper into some more advantageous matchups, too, and force Thompson right. off of him. I think Thompson did a, a largely good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, it, you know, it, it, these have been different kinds of players. Mm-hmm. I said last night, Caleb Houston, Jaden Ivey, Johnny Davis – Ron Harper Jr. But the one constant is it's a it's a true sort of hybrid wing that wants to slash an attack that can hit threes, but can also go downhill with the ball and therefore is going to challenge positionally how you guard them. Because, you know, you, you don't there aren't a lot of players out there that can naturally handle that that kind of player, that kind of body type. Um, you know, again, Galloway not being there was a factor. I I would point out, and I'm not casting enormous aspersions. I hope this doesn't sound bad when I say this about Trey Galloway. He's only played in 15 games this season. Right. Um, he missed a couple last season. He also had an injury in high school. I'm not suggesting he's fragile. I'm just mm-hmm. suggesting I, I don't think, you know, I think you need solutions beyond just Trey Galloway to this problem because yes. that kind of player isn't going anywhere. Like that kind of player is going to be on your schedule a half dozen times or more minimum a year if you're playing in the Big Ten. And Galloway has shown, at least to this point in his career, and I'm not, again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm by no means calling him soft. If anything, knowing Mm -hmm. some of what he's, knowing what he has played through at times, I think he's very tough. But like, there are injuries you just can't play through. Like, you know, the, the, mm. there comes a time where you do have to just say, nope, sorry, you can't play on that. It's too dangerous. It's too reckless. It's too risky. Right. There is, I think, enough body of evidence to say Indiana needs a solution beyond just Trey Galloway to this problem. Oh, yeah, um, no, 100%. I mean, I mean, you look back, I mean, and, and, and not only that, like, you need, you know, like when you're constructing a team, it's hard to get everything you want. Um, and, and it's, it's tough to get guys that can defend and shoot. Um, you know, it's, you end up with guys that are really good athletes that can defend and guys who are just really skilled shooters. Um, and, and a lot of times you don't end up, you're, you're lucky if you can get somebody who can do both. Um, and Indiana does, has the misfortune of not having really a lot of guys that can do both. Um, 
but you certainly, I think the, the ability to have two, six, 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 five, six, you know, two wings between six, four and six, seven, um, that can really defend one to four is important. And I think, you know, for instance, like the 2013, at least one to three. Yeah. At least one to three. three. Cause you can always find a, 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 not always, but you can find a race Thompson type of Juwan Morgan type player that can mm-hmm. be a four or five defender that can maybe at times switch on to a three. Like last night, again, I didn't think race Thompson was terrible on Ron Harper. I actually thought right. part of what Rutgers did to, to get Ron Harper going was to get him away from race Thompson. Absolutely. But like mm-hmm. that one to three in particular, Victor Oladipo comes to mind. And we'll I know that obviously it's easy to say that he's a lottery pick, whatever, but like, that's what you need. Like you want to win right. the way Indiana wants to win. That's what you need. Right. But I mean, and, and to worth noting, I mean, it wasn't just Vic, you know, like, and, and that's, I think the key piece to point out is like, yes, Vic was unbelievable. Um, especially by the time he was a junior. I mean, he was just a holy terror on defense, but will she, he could guard a bunch of guys, you know, will she, he could guard just about any position on the floor. Christian Watford could defend a whole bunch of positions. And, you know, they, they, so they were in a spot where like they could, could you know have a guy like Jordan Holes who's a shooter and they could always find a way to hide him um where I mean he I mean Holes worked hard on defense but obviously he was six foot you know buck 80 and like he he wasn't going to be able to physically overwhelm somebody he got some things done on defense he'd be a, a little pest on a double down and take a ball, the ball out of a big man's hand or something like that and be able to run around with some other shooters but you know because they had enough defenders they could they, they could put him in on the easiest assignment they could find um and the rest of those guys you know whether they would bring will off the bench or whatever i mean like they would be able to put together defense defenses with length and, and obviously throw cody zeller in there that that could handle a switch you know without too much of a problem and can handle a pick and roll it could keep himself in front of a guard if he had to and hedge and all that kind of stuff um so they had all those pieces and so the thing is is like you need one good wing defender i mean like it's it's of dire necessity but like one's not enough like that guy's got to be able to come off the floor um and you got to be able to, to trust somebody else that you could put on there that you can handle and that's that's the thing it hasn't been the case you know, they like Xavier Johnson and Rob Finnessy have, have made you know, having Finnessy back has made them better. But I mean, there's limits as to who Finnessy can guard um, and there's limits to who Jar- Johnson can guard. And when you're getting a guy that's six, five or six, six, that's a little bomb beyond his range. I thought Johnson and Finnessy both did a pretty good job on Geo Baker last night. Um, but I think you would like to have Galloway there as well uh, to be able to handle that switch and have a guy with a little more length on that spot. Um, really, I mean, I think one of the, the, the biggest ones that really burned him recently and Malachi Branham. They had no answer for him, um, and that I think would have been a, a, a perfect uh, Galloway assignment, really. And it, and it just, you know, on a night uh, when yeah. I mean, you know, twice really, Indiana kept DJ Liddell very, very quiet. I mean, like really yeah. did well. And it, I guess it, it, it feels like all of this contributes to this this broader th- idea that has been building in my mind that I wrote about a little bit in the post game Q and A last night. Like, let's assume for a moment Indiana doesn't win either of its next two games; they're going mm-hmm. to the NIT. In that case, right. it'll mm-hmm. be the third time in six years. There's also a fourth season in there where they would have made the NCAA tournament had it actually <laughs> happened. Right. There's a there's a fifth season in there, which is the only one in the last six where they finished f- at 500 in conference play. I think part of what frustrates IU fans is it's never felt like Indiana was so bad you could just give up on. Right. Like in these last six years, there's, uh, you know, obviously there have been low moments. There have been bad performances. And I think you and I have talked about this before. But in the aggregate, in the big picture, like Indiana has been in the neighborhood of good again 
like mm-hmm. consistently. Yeah. They've won some big games at home. They've even won a couple, three of them on the road. Again, three NITs in six years means you were on the bubble like three times in six years. You didn't make it, but you were on the bubble. There's a fourth year where right. you would have made the tournament. There's a fifth year where you is the only year you finished 500 in conference. I think part of what frustrates fans, you know, I, I had somebody else ask me last night, like, should basically Indiana tear it all down and start over? And I said, no. And the primary reason for that is there's no draft in college basketball. You know, yeah, the system is not designed for parity. That's a bad right, idea. Right. But it does. I think the reason people ask it that way or frame it that way, even in just in their own minds, is because they think this team, this this program just keeps coming so close mm-hmm. and then keeps faltering kind of in, in the big moment, whatever right. that big moment is. And at what point does the weight of that, you know, just start to pull everyone down? Whereas, right. like, I think in, in people's own minds, and again, I don't agree with it, but I think in fans, some fans' minds, the idea of sort of, you know, tearing it up root and branch and starting over means mm-hmm. burning all of that away. Right. And again, I don't think that's a good idea, but mm-hmm. – I think that the I think that that line of thinking is mm-hmm. reflective of the same issue, which is just that Indiana keeps. It feels like Indiana keeps finding a way to put itself close and then let itself mm-hmm. down. Right. And, and I think fans are frustrated at that cycle not breaking. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think and, and like I wouldn't call myself an optimist because I don't you know have emotional ties here. But like I think every year since I've been back covering Indiana since 2018, I have thought at one point in like December or early January, Oh, this is a tournament team. It's not like a great team. It's not a team that's going to run away with it and, 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 you know, make a challenge for something, but it looks like a tournament team. It looks like it's good enough. It, it has at least one win that I thought, wow, you know, that's a better game. That That's a game I didn't expect them to win. Um, and so maybe if they won that game, maybe they're better than I think they are. Um, and so that probably means they're at least going to get a crack out of the NCAs in some way and somehow, some way after that, the bottom has fallen out, uh, every year. And, and it's, and then, and and in the course of that year, you've started to watch games and when they've had leads say, well, they're going to find a way to blow this. Um, it just has that feel to it. And last night was, because it feels like it becomes habitual. It feels like it It, becomes becomes habitual stuck. Like the, the, for whatever reason, Indiana's ceiling hardens more than other teams in their position. Right. Exactly. And there's like, there always seems to be a point where you're like the, the, the momentum is dragging them down. It doesn't matter how big their, their lead is. It is going to disappear. Like it's just a matter of time. And you know, it, it just seems to be that, that they have, they, they hit a wall. And there, again, there's a bunch of reasons for that much of which we covered already with the shooting and with just, it just seems they never have enough offensive Trump cards to be able to say, we're putting this thing away. You know, we're, we're going to put a gap in the lead and go win it by 20. You know, it just doesn't happen with this group. So over and over and over again, they find themselves in that position again. And, and, and yeah, it's, it is maddening for Indiana fans because I think, I think almost maybe in every one of these years that they haven't made the tournament with maybe the possible exception of Archie's first year, um, they have had reason to believe that they are watching a tournament team. Um, at least for some period, sometime, whether it was in November or December or early January, they had reason to believe. And then it was gone, you know, and then suddenly it was gone and it was over. And, and you know, I mean, one month ago, I was certain this was an NCAA tournament team. I was sure it was just I was like, OK, like just get the game, games you're supposed to get. You're in, you're safe. You know, no big deal. You don't even have to beat anybody big at this point. And then Northwestern happens and then you look up and it's over. 
which leads to, and we've got about 10 minutes left. So we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit big picture and, and mm-hmm. it is worth saying here as we discuss this, if Indiana beats Purdue on Saturday, and that's unlikely, obviously, but if Indiana beats Purdue on Saturday, all this is erased and they're back in the tournament because that's that's one of the highest quality road wins you can have in the Big Ten. Right. Mm-hmm. It would erase, you know, it would erase losing to Rutgers. It would erase losing to Northwestern. It would, I mean, it really would just like boot them right back in. If Indiana loses to Purdue but wins a couple games in Indianapolis, I suspect the number there now is probably two, given that it seems like it's going to be Michigan, Iowa, or Rutgers on day one, and then yeah. Wisconsin on day two. If Indiana wins those two games, they're in. So, like, it's not like the, the door to the tournament is shut. Mm. But I understand anyone – I certainly understand at this point anyone who says, I just don't believe that they can kick it down. I don't believe they can get through it. And it kind of brings me to a, a more functional point, um, or, or maybe a, not a functional point, a, a more intangible point, which is – and this is anecdotal. So this is a little bit me sort of presenting – you know, my own personal experiences is, is wider accepted fact, but I, I do think I, I don't interact with particularly unreasonable elements of Indiana's fan base very right. often. Mm. Um, the number of people I know that were resigned to what you just described, like mm-hmm. th- that even, even in, I mean, like even in early mid, even like mid late January when Indiana was still in a pretty good position, Mm-hmm. Still, just sort of felt like yes, but I, I assume that some at some point they'll screw it. It will up. disappear. Yeah, you, you know this this will fall apart because I've seen it too many times. The number of people that are less angry on a day like mm-hmm. this and apathetic is not the word because they still care enough to be talking about it, to be bothered by it, etc. But again, right. just just feel almost sort of resigned to it. Yeah, um, that is what would alarm me if I was a coach or an administrator, someone sort of tasked with stewardship of IU basketball. Yes. Is, is this defeatist nature within your fan base? Because, you know, every year that this, I, I had somebody else in the post game Q and a who asked me if, who said basically wouldn't a good NIT run be more valuable from a, a you know, sort of a, a, what is the word I'm looking for? A, a, a standpoint Momentum. out. Yeah. than losing in the first four. And I said, no, because the NCAA tournament is the ultimate currency in college basketball. Yeah. And every year that this program, with all its expectations and all its history and all its heritage and resources and traditions and, and, and fan support, doesn't make it to one, the backpack that those players have to carry around, uh, the, the, the mm. burden, the weight of that, just grows and grows and grows. Fairly or not, you know, I mean, like a lot of people are blaming Mike Woodson for stuff that ultimately Woodson inherited more than he created. But like the deeper you get into this, the less time, the less patience people are going to have. Tom Crean got a lot of leash Mm -hmm. his first couple, three seasons. Archie got basically a free year, a year zero before anybody really turned on the juice. Mike Woodson's not getting that. And I think a lot of it's because Tom and Archie did. And mm-hmm. spoiled it. And the more you fail like this, the less patience there's going to be at the front end to give you time to work things out and have success. My point is, if I was an IU fan, or excuse me, if I was an IU administrator, someone like that, I would be alarmed at the resignation within the fan base and, and the degree to which fans, the, not their expectations for what they think their program should be, but their expectations for how they thought this season would turn out. 
right? And how they think IU basketball seasons will turn out, generally speaking. You know, that's how you lose the right to claim elite ambitions. For a long time, I've said Indiana has a right to feel like it should be a Big Ten contender and a Final Four contender as long as its fans and its boosters expect that. Mm-hmm. If you lose that, right, that is when you really start to lose your grip on the, the tradition of success that allows you to be able to look at recruits, future coaches, anybody, and say – this is possible in Indiana that like, when you lose that, that is exceptionally difficult to replace. And I would be worried stroke, possibly alarmed were yeah. I an IU administrator at that. Yeah. And yeah, it's, it's, and it's heading there. It's, it's absolutely heading there. I mean, and it's different. I mean, like the frustration level, I think is different with Woodson because this for as much as flawed as this roster is, it's, I mean, it's light years better than what either Miller or Crean had in their first year. I mean, like obviously Kareen, it's a whole different level considering, you know, that he was truly building up from scratch, having actually ripped it apart. And, you know, Miller, there just wasn't a whole lot of pieces left at the end of the Kareen era. Um, but yes, this is, um, th- there is growing apathy. Um, and w- when you're starting to get to the point where you're like, I, and I, I did see real excitement with this fan base when Woodson was hired um, you know, in the first few months, the recruiting, you know, a couple pieces he was able to pick up. Um, and really, I mean, I, I thought even in January, there was w- w- like after they beat Purdue, I thought this was real sense of we have figured this out. Um, and, I, and I do think there were certain pessimists obviously like, well, it'll, it'll just watch. Um, but I think everybody that got their hopes up is annoyed at themselves now. You know, um, that's kind of the, the, the sense I get from them. And that that's rough. That that's also tough to come back from because I think fans are starting to get to the point of saying, I'm I'm not going to do this to myself anymore. I'm not going to tell myself that they're going to be good when they're just going to disappoint me. Um, and yeah, that makes it tough to sell tickets. That makes it tough to get people excited. That makes it tough to create atmospheres that, that recruits see and say, man, I really want to be there. Um, and I mean, I think it will still there, there will always be kind of a baseline. People will always just be excited to be in assembly hall. It's just like, I I think it just creates that, but having, you know, having people truly believe when, when they talk to, when they see recruits or whatever, and not, not that it's all about that and you're not supposed to, you know, tweet at them or whatever, or, or be the sort of people that bother them, but, but the ability just for the fan base to create a atmosphere that we're going to get there. Um, I think the fan base is having a harder time getting there because they're having a hard time believing it. And I just think that's, I mean, that's, yeah. again, when you lose that belief and, and when those, when those, the, 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 the further you get from that and the more those expectations reset themselves and mm-hmm. it stops being something that fans demand and it stops being something where students, you know, believe in it, buy into it. And, and it stops being something where boosters will pay for it and yada, yada, like that's, I mean, that's when you risk really losing it in a way that makes it hard to replace. Yeah. Um, so again, this isn't, I mean, you're, you're right that this is, is Woodson probably has a more talented roster here than either Archie or Tom inherited. Um, 
and in fairness, he's also done better with it than either of them did in his first year. Like I know they're probably, I know that the odds are against them making the tournament, but you know, Tom Crean and I'm not criticizing Tom, you know, what he, what he walked into is obviously very difficult, but he won six games his first year. Archie Miller lost to Fort Wayne and Indiana state by what a combined like 20 or 44 points yeah, his first season. Um, you know, it, it, this has been better than that. It's still not good enough. And the broader idea is, that there's going to be – you don't get to go back to zero anymore with IU fans when you make a coaching change or when you turn over a roster or, or do something to just really sort of revamp from the ground up. They are going to have less patience. And, yeah. and you know, to just to be at the most <laughs> basic Sorry. level uh, – I'm actually – at the most Sorry. basic Hold level, mm. it just – I don't blame them because – it's been six years and it just, it, it isn't this hard to make the NCAA tournament. Um, you know, one of the statistics that's been floated around a lot in the last few weeks, and it, it is now guaranteed to be true is that Indiana now remains the only big 10 program that has not posted a single winning season in conference playing the last five years. Everyone else has done Nebraska, even Nebraska, even Northwestern, even Minnesota, even Penn state, Indiana is the only one since 2017 that has not posted a, a winning record in conference play. So um, the Hoosiers are 18 and 11. They are at Purdue on Saturday. Dustin and I will obviously both be there. Um, we will have, I will do a lot in the build up to the big 10 tournament as well. Cause we'll have some of the gap to fill there from Saturday to Thursday, but between now and then for the Indianapolis star, the Moon's narrow times for Dustin DePirac, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening. This has been mind your banners for March 3rd, 2022. We'll talk to you soon.